The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I have a fascinating show for you today. Um, We're going to get an inside peek at what it's like growing up in a cult. My guest today is Joan Miller. She is the author of The Transformation of Joan Faith, and she grew up in the same cult as Joaquin Phoenix, the children of God. Joaquin's family, however, he was a little more fortunate, his family left when he was very young, but Joan's family stayed in the cult until she was a teenager. And obviously this traumatic upbringing, traumatic environment, um, cast scars, physical and psychological scars, on the rest of her life. And uh, she's now written a book about it and about how she survived. And she has uh, founded her own organization called the Children's Health Ministry. But before we get into all of that, welcome to the show, Joan. And uh, it's very brave of you to to talk about what went on because um, because some of these things are really quite unbelievable, uh, unbelievable that they could occur in this country, and and um, no one put a stop to to it. But um, why don't we just start from the beginning and uh, what it was like? I, I gather were you born into the cult? Yes, I was. I was born into it. Um, when I was very little, I know some people don't think this is significant, but this is actually kind of a significant part of my story is that my fam- my parents were leaders in the cult, and they mm-hmm. left me in the nursery with one of the caretakers and for about the first six months of my life, so they spent very little time with me during that mm-hmm. period of time. Um, they would come, they would bring the babies to the mom sometimes to nurse them, and then they'd come back to the nursery. But essentially, that's the time when trust is built, and um, that that affected my relationships even in the future. But that was just the first thing that happened among several others, and I was not the only one that that happened to. It was a whole nursery full of babies. Well, and yes, you're absolutely right. The first six months are super important, um, most important in, form, in forming trust, in forming self-image, all kinds of things. Um, that's when it's most important for children to have uh, the love of their parents and closeness and so on. But actually, let's start even before that. Uh, well, where was this? Where were you at, the, at this time? Let's see. I was in New York, upstate New York. My parents huh. were leading a, what they called colonies, um, which was a, a group of people, probably about 75 to 100 people lived in a, in a big house, and um, they would run Bible studies and, and lead them. And so my parents were leaders there, and 
that's where I was born. That's where it was located. It was okay. in the middle of winter, and I was born at home, and there was, they had very little, like, prenatal care or any kind of, um, I mean, they had their own recommendations, but they kind of made up their own things as they went along as to how to raise kids, and with a cult leader's son was one of the prime examples, and it, we, there was a big book, The Story of Davidito, and it showed how he was um, molested and, like, all kinds of stuff. Yes, and I'm going to want to get into that yeah. um, later, but let's let's stick with you. What I'm really interested in knowing, first of all, is what got your parents into this cult, and how old were they when they started being involved? Well, my dad was, I think, 18, and my mom was close to, she was like 19, and it was in the 60s at, around Woodstock, and my dad, my dad tells me he was just searching for God. He'd been raised Catholic, and he wanted to know who God was, and he said, God, if you don't show me who you are, and he, he stood in the middle of a fire, and he said, I'm just going to burn up in this fire. Huh. And uh, my mom was just praying about God's will for her life, and she was almost joined uh, Campus Crusade for Christ and instead joined the children of God. And they were they used to be called Teens for Christ at that time, but essentially got involved in just a, in a wayward group, you know. I mean, it was, a lot of people were joining Jesus, the Jesus movement at that time, yes. but um, they just happened to take their whole little path of Jesus down a strange path. Huh, that's very interesting. So what happened to your father in the fire? <laughs> Well, he actually somebody he said that someone came up to him and like touched him on the arm and just took him out, and he said he couldn't find the guy later, and he said that maybe huh. an angel had helped you know taken him out of the fire, which I believe is very possible. Yeah, yeah. So, huh. So okay, so they they joined when they were eighteen and nineteen and stayed in it. Well, how old were they when you were born? Um, I think around like twenty twenty one. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, so okay. So, so now <laughs> you were born. Let's 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 uh, with that with that background. Let's continue there. So I'm born, and they they leave me in this nursery, and then they do a little bit of traveling, and they went to Switzerland and Italy, and um, so I'm really little at all this time. Then they come back to the states. My my mom ends up at some point staying here in the States because they ended up getting divorced when I was two and a half. My dad yeah. says, well, to back up a little, my dad had didn't even want to marry my mom. Um, and it was an arranged marriage, which they were doing a lot at that time at the beginning. Um, arranged and, by the children of God, arranged by David Berg, the leader. Yes, one of the leaders. Like, my mom had showed a little bit of interest in my dad. So they said, oh, perfect, you guys are a couple, that's it. And my dad had said the very next day after... Um, their marriage, he said, I don't want to be married to her. I need you to end this marriage. And they wouldn't do it. They threatened to kick him out. And so, because I never understood, I'd asked him, Dad, why'd you stay? You know, why did you stay if you knew you're unhappy? He said, it's just the whole environment. You know, you think, okay, you're young. First of all, he's young and he's just listening to authority mm -hmm. and trying to follow the rules or whatever. And so he tried to make it work for about two and a half years. And then he left, they had come back to the States, and um, he left my mom at that point. And, again, and when they were traveling to Switzerland and all that, you were left back in New York? No, no, I was with them. At that point, like after when they did leave that colony and traveled a bit, I was with them okay. at that point. All right. So then at two and a half, my, when my dad left, my mom tells me that I did what a typical 
a child at that age would do is pound my fists on the walls and scream for my daddy because I was very attached to him. He seemed to, even back then, understand me. And it, obviously, I don't remember all of this, but when I, as I looked back over my life, I was like, oh, I can see that because I always felt more, kind of more attached to him, more like he understood me. And, and it was even evident then, so I'm freaking out at two and a half. And then, and I think like that set the stage for later with all my relationships with men. I just mm. thought they're all going to leave. Mm. They're all going to leave. And um, so I would make them leave before, mm-hmm. before um, anything good could happen. So, um, so that was kind of all those things were set in my psyche at, at a really young age. And um, so that was one thing So at that age. And then... So, um, so when he left, where did he go? How far away did he go? He went... He went back to, he came to California and was doing some traveling and preaching at colleges at that point. And then he eventually um, came back um, to take long enough to take me and my brother to Italy when I was four. He took us by ourselves again. And then um, eventually he did move back to Massachusetts, which is where I grew up. And um, he stayed there. We didn't see a whole lot of him, but he did stay there after, like, when I was eight years old. So there was a lot of, like, up and down. I mean, the, yeah. it's hard to follow the the path of the way everything took. But he did come back when I was, was four, and I remember him calling from California, and I'd be crying and crying. Just I wanted him to come home. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, um, so, and I guess at the age of six, when, um, because this went on for so long and I was just literally distraught as a young child over mm-hmm. him being away and I laid myself in the middle of the street and I wanted a, car, a truck to run me over mm-hmm. and it was like my desperate plea to like have my family together or whatever, mm-hmm. um, have him there, have them all together and um, it was, it's, it's just so, you know, it wasn't until years later that I would question like, what makes a six-year-old lay in the middle of the street mm-hmm. and want that to happen, you know? Um, this is after I had my son and would just look at this little baby and go, gosh, what could, ha-, you know, what happens? But it's all those things that were, you know, one thing after another happening at like almost every stage of development. I did, did, I did a lot of research on that because it was like I had to figure out, well, what happened and what's driving my behavior as an adult, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so so just... So when you so he left and he was coming back and forth kind of, um, but your mother stayed and that's why you were there until you were a teenager because you Correct. were mostly with her. Yeah, they they kind of they left briefly. They were actually kicked out of the cult because they couldn't. Their marriage was troubled. Then they were they rejoined again when I was like four. So they weren't gone very long. Mm-hmm. It was like the time they got divorced, maybe a year and a half or something. And um, so they re they were back there again. And then my mom would. She, we were living with another home. It wasn't as big as the colony when I was younger. In we were living near Boston, and and um, so that's when I was I was fourteen at that time, and that's a, a, after during that time it was right after that that we left. But up until then, we would we lived on our own. We didn't as much affiliate ourselves as as immersed as most people were in the cult because most of the time the people would move overseas and live in very large homes with a lot of people kind of pool all their resources together and and um and and just live a very out outskirts of society life even in other countries um but we kind of we were involved with the cult i mean i would i i had conflict because 
I went to public school. I had friends from my neighborhood, and yet we're involved in this cult. And we would, on the weekends, go and pass out literature and go witness to people. And I would be mortified because I'd just be like, oh, my God, I don't want to run into people I know from mm. school. And, you know, as a young preteen, I was, I was just really um, concerned about all of that. And so it was a real, it was really difficult for me because I wanted to either, let's do one or the other, be hot or cold, you know, mm. either join this cult, let's move to India or just be of the world, as they would call it. You know, it's like pick one or the other. That's kind of how I, <laughs> my stance yeah. on it was. But we weren't doing that. My mom was sort of in the middle, it seemed. Um, but there was enough influence from them and what was going on that it, it affects your mind. It affects how you think about things. And, you know, even later, I think some of the adults would have a lot of fears and phobias when they would leave the cult. But I was um, doing more research on kids that were raised in the cult. It's a totally different situation because that's all they know. <laughs> and um, But in my case, fortunately, I had the involvement with other things that were a little bit more normal than most of the kids growing up there. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a twofold thing for me. <laughs> Well, um, I have so many more. Uh, boy, this is all fascinating. You know, I see a movie in this. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, we haven't even gotten to some of the uh, the yeah. most outrageous stuff yet, which we will. Right. <laughs> Coming up, my guest is Joan Miller. She's the author of a new book called The Transformation of Joan Faith. We're talking about what it's like to grow up in a cult. And you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Kara Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. 
Explore the power and beauty in yourself and in others. Tune in to The Stacey Stern Show, enriching you. Every week, Stacey Stern will connect you with men and women who are living and working from a place of passion. Stacey's guests include successful authors, filmmakers, actors, experts, and leaders. You'll hear what inspires each of them, and you'll be turned on to great films, books, and new media. Tune in to The Stacey Stern Show, enriching you, Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about what it's like growing up in a cult with my guest, Joan Miller. She and Joaquin Phoenix were born into the same cult. It was called the Children of God. The head of it is David Berg, the leader. We're going to be talking some about him. He's quite a character. Um, uh, and, and Joan has been giving us sort of an introduction as to um, her being born into this cult and, of course, the difficulties that her parents had. And now Joan, uh, and, and she's written about this in a book called The Transformation of Joan Faith. Um, let's talk a little bit more about some of the uh, darker sides of the cult. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I want to know, in the, in the various places where you lived as part of the cult, um, was the leader, David Berg, living in those same places? Um, not when I, after I was born, my parents, I think, lived with him in Texas early on when the, when the cult first got started, but I didn't, um, we always, he would write us letters, like, thinking he was the Apostle Paul or something, and he would literally write letters and just, um, say the latest dream that he had and tell us the new regulations or some new inspiration he had, so that's how he communicated with most of the people. He was kind of... Um, shut away kind of in private because I don't know whether he really knew what he was doing or not, but um, but he knew that it was dangerous, that he could get in serious trouble with the law if he was caught up with all the things he was doing with children. And, um, and so he was always kept very secret. Nobody really knew where he lived or even what he looked like. In the, in the letters that he would send, when there was pictures of people, he would disguise his face in all the faces of the people in, quote, the royal family, they would call it, hmm. um, and um, so he was kind of like off in the distance. You know, we really didn't know too much except for all these letters that he would write. So, which is kind of amazing that he was able to exert so much control through these letters and people yeah. not seeing him. Now, when your parents got married and he arranged that, had they seen him when they were in Texas or was this through the letters too? I think they were, they, I to my knowledge, they had met him there. He still lived in a separate trailer on their on the grounds. It was like a ranch, they called it. Um, I don't know if they actually met him. I, I'm pretty sure they did. Uh, but it's possible that maybe even they didn't. But, but he was more accessible back then when it first got started because he was here in Texas. He was here in the United States. Then later he had moved to other, another country um, and kind of always hid his whereabouts. Yes, he started this um, family of God, children of God, um, in 1968, apparently. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
Okay, well, let's get down and talk about the sex. <laughs> what these things that he was hiding from the law for? Um, what yeah. were some of the some of the things that he some of the sad, um, perverted sexual yeah. ideas that he had that he was able to control his followers into doing? Well, he he taught several different things. The first thing that comes to my mind is is that was so destructive was that parents should teach their children about sex, which in and of itself is not a bad concept, but not to physically actually do it with them so that they would know what it's like or what it feels like or whatever he was trying to teach them. And at the ages that he would suggest doing this, sometimes it was as young as his own child was like, I don't know, one or two, two years old, maybe two or three Um and he would say that, like, this is a good thing to put them down for a nap and be feeling them up, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing, make them relaxed or whatever. And, um, you know, and, and that I think that's that's so, so, so destructive when they're that young. I mean, I had an incident happen where my dad tells me that in a moment of weakness, he decided he was going to follow their rules in this area and, and say, oh, here's how you pleasure a man. And, um, you know, and then later told me that he felt very, very guilty about it, felt horrible about it. He knew that it was wrong, you know, right off the bat. And, um, and, but it's still even something as small as, as seemingly small as what happened to me, because I've heard horror stories about what happened, what had happened to several other girls and even guys, um, but even something that minor, or at least some people might think that's that's minor, um, it still had like lifelong effects on yes. our relationship, on on my relationship with men. Um, you know, so none of those things are I would even consider minor at all. And and the more heinous it is, just the more difficulty it is to get over it. Yes, you know? of course. Um, and and you also also children were encouraged to have sex with each other. Yeah, they were. Um, yeah, it was kind of just, they were doing that. They were making, like, dance videos. The little girls, like 10-year-old, 10, 11-year-olds, um, were make videos for David Berg. Um, and, like, they were kind of, like, dancing, like, almost like, I don't know that they were strippers, but they were in very small little clothing. Mm. Um, you know, obviously this it affects their psyches because later on people I knew became strippers, like mm. for a living. And one guy had become a, a, pro- a prostitution ringleader or something. And um, so that's kind of what what they learned. But, yeah, that's what they were doing and teaching and saying was good and okay and, and encouraged. It was kind of like part of the 60s where people needed to be sexually liberated and, you know, um, he'd have write letters, um, come on, Ma, burn your bra, and just, um, you know, just be free sexually just because everyone needs love. And he would always, you know, kind of cloak it in, in it's all just love, and, it, and you're loving someone by helping them out in that way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, as twisted as it is, but that's, and it, and it almost seemed like, because it was all done in such a loving manner, you you almost don't, you think, well, everyone's just being so loving and sweet and kind and, mm-hmm. you know, um you don't uh, you don't necessarily at least as a kid think something's wrong unless unless God is showing you like that's just not right which is what happened to me I, it was something didn't seem right about it well yeah i mean especially if you're so um uh if it's an enclave i mean if you're so cloistered into this one group and that's the group think that's the way that everybody is saying is the right way it's hard to to um to realize that it's not right. 
Um, he also would have people. Um, now, you know, you mentioned you had a brother. How how was he young, older, or younger? I have um, two younger brothers. They're about we're all about two years apart. And yeah. were they so they weren't were they from the same mother and father? Well, the second one is the same father, and the last one, my mom, um, after they were divorced. Um, she got together with someone she wasn't married to him and had a and had a child a lot of times in the cult now I think she was kind of away from the cult at that point but then had joined up later when I was around eight but she left briefly when she was gone she got had my youngest brother and then um, but in the cult they would call those Jesus babies and um, if you were married to someone else or you had a, say you had a husband and you had a baby by someone else, that was considered a Jesus baby. Even that child may never know their father, um, maybe a total stranger, someone they would call, they would call it FFing. They would say, we're going to go flirty fishing, which is going out to bars or going out in public somewhere, meeting guys, men, and, and um, coercing them. I could say coercing, but like getting them to come into the cult through flirt, flirting with them, sleeping with them, whatever. Um, and then if you got pregnant, it was okay because that was a Jesus baby. Huh. And that was God's blessing to you for being obedient to God. And bringing someone else into the cult. Right. Huh. Wow. He was kind of making up his own rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was living out his fantasies. I don't know. I mean, I think, or, you know, he was actually sexually abused in the same exact way that he um did to his son, like, he thought it was okay that the nannies would, you know, fondle them and do whatever they wanted. He had had that happen to him as a young child. So Yes, I was going to ask you about that, yeah. because I did a little research into him, and he seemed to have an, uh, I mean, I don't know about the nannies, but he seemed to have an unusually close relationship with his mother. Yeah, he talks about that, too. I read about that, um, and I think it kind of awakened the sexual feelings in him maybe maybe i don't know i think he was a teenager when that happened but but it it awakened something in him where it was like okay to do this with family you know so that's why he had done this with his daughters and granddaughter you know and and made it like a big family affair kind of cuz it to him it didn't seem or feel wrong at the time so his parents were also these zealots these um missionaries these traveling um people who spread what they the religion that they kind of espoused, um, yeah. and so, so he he talks about he acknowledges that his mother sexually abused him or had sex with him. Um, I don't know that he had. Um, well, I don't know that they had sex, but he. The story that I read was that he was in bed with her and was sexually aroused, and um, it like awakened this whole thing inside of him. And probably, I would imagine that it like sexualized his relationship with her to some degree even if it was only in his mind mm-hmm. you know and made him think this is okay it's good it you know it feels good or whatever and so like why not you know i i don't remember reading anything else that it was like an ongoing thing or anything mm-hmm. um just that it had awakened something in him that was you know and no one i don't know so it was kind of like in his own head he's thinking all this stuff is okay and in some things in society at the time, it was like, you know, it was okay to just, the sexual revolution didn't just apply, I don't think, to this cult, but this one just took it to the nth degree. He, like, you know, just lived it out and influenced, you know, tens of thousands of people to do this, you know. Yes, so. because it talks about um, that for 10 years, 
in the late 1930s. So let's see, he was born in 1919, I think. So 20 in late 19. So like when he was, hmm, when he was like 20 or so. Oh, was um, He became, he became her. <laughs> Her assist, her chauffeur and assistant, and, and oh her right, with right, yeah. He did have like that close relationship with her, like that, yeah, yeah. Because he talked about being in her shadows, kind of. She was like an evangelist. Yes. Yeah. And then, oh. and then later, he got to go be his own little evangelist, except in in this cultic way. Yes. Oh my, that's another. Um, that's the music, meaning we have to take another break. Okay. But... We will be back with my guest, Joan Miller. Again, her book is called The Transformation of Joan Faith. We're talking about what it's like to grow up in a cult, and um, one where the leader has such tremendous, well, I guess all cults, the leader has such tremendous power to manipulate their followers. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darlings, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style, every Wednesday afternoon at 2 Pacific, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where I'm talking with Joan Miller about what it's like to grow up in a cult. Her book is called The Transformation of Joan Faith. We were talking about the leader of this cult, uh, David Berg, who, yes, essentially lived out his fantasies and had such incredible control over his followers. 
Um, do you have any idea of how many followers he had? He, he started this in 1968, and his Children of God cult went until 1990. Well, he died in 1994 in mm-hmm. Portugal, and then it apparently has continued under a different name. But um, how many people were involved in that cult up until his death? Do you know? I read that it was around like 10,000. Wow. Maybe it was more than that. I mean, if they're still going on, I imagine that more people have joined, and it's probably more than that. Wow. It's just amazing that um, with all of these, this control that he had, and he would tell people who they could marry, where they could live, how much they could have to eat every day, how much they could spend because everybody shared their money. Um mm-hmm. And, um, and of course, all these sexual practices, how the little young girls were supposed to have sex with, um, to help men with their God-given need and so on, have sex mm-hmm. with each other, have sex with their parents, um, you know, acting all out all of David Berg's twisted fantasies. And um, so, so, for example, he, David Berg uh, married his first wife, Jane Miller, and they had four children, and then he married his second wife, Karen Zerby, who apparently continues to be the leader of this cult. Mm-hmm. And he uh, uh, informally adopted the son of Karen Zerby, who was named Ricky Rodriguez. So tell us about him. Oh, my goodness. Well, he was he was a son, and he was raised to be the, the successor of David Berg. Mm-hmm. And... I guess he was taught this as a young child and said, you're going to take this over eventually. And um, I think he uh, he knew, because of leaving the cult, how wrong all of this was. And I think, it, I think something weighs on you when you know that you've influenced that many people or your family has or had, like his father had. And he was enraged and angry that, um, that he had done this and he knew the damage that had been caused and he was living it. He was living the damage, and he couldn't seem to reconcile it within himself, and he wanted someone to do something about it. You know, he, I think he, at least from what I've read, that he wanted um, someone to speak up and do something to help these kids or change it or do something to, to make this stop, really, because he saw the destruction, and he was like, I think I watched that video of him with all those knives and guns, and he's just like, you know, so, you know, do something. Our generation, our the kids of that that grew up in it, that know firsthand the destruction that it causes. You know, go do something about it. Don't be silent anymore. Our parents, some of them, were just too silent. They didn't do anything because they were terrified. You know. You know, it, it's he, so. How old was he when he left? Oh my goodness. Um. I mean, was he? An I know adult? he was. I want. To, yeah, he was in his twenties. I want to say mid twenties, because I think he was like twenty nine when he killed himself. And so I don't think it, he'd been out that long. I read that um, in the nineteen seventies and eighties, sexually suggestive photographic depictions of uh, Rodriguez, of, of who was called, as you said before, David Ito, Davidito, yeah, with adult uh, caretakers. So sexually. <laughs> Suggestive photos of him with adult caretakers were disseminated throughout the group by David Berg and his second wife, Zerby. I mean, this, this, his mother was obviously under the influence of David Berg and um, sent around these sexually suggestive photographs 
in a child-rearing handbook telling people that this is what you're supposed to do with your children, all these yeah. sexually inappropriate things. Um, and apparently he was, he had been molested by, who had, he had been molested by his, by the caretakers or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, Ricky Rodriguez, yeah. Yeah, yeah the care, his caretaker, yeah, or maybe a few of them. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so then he got out <laughs> And he, he murdered one of the female caretakers who was also in this handbook and then right. murdered himself. Yeah. He was looking for his mom, from what I read. He really wanted her to suffer. You know, he wanted someone to, it's like he wanted someone to pay for what had been done, it seemed. You know, it's like justice needs to be done somehow, you know. Um, and how do you have justice with that kind of heinous behavior? I mean, where does justice even come from? you know, in his mind, you know, and, and I understand what he's saying, because it's kind of true, you know, I mean, I didn't, um, after, you know, leaving, I wasn't really, really angry with them. For some reason, I think it's only God given that can give you the ability to not be that angry at people that do something to your life that affects it so negatively. But, you know, it wasn't till later that I was inspired to even write anything or do anything to really show people a way out, not just, um, you know, because there's so much to it. There's, there's your, your mental, your psyche, your, your spirit, your emotions, you know, even how you view God and religion. Everything's affected. Everything's affected when you, when you have this kind of experience. And it's, it's probably, I'd say, one of the most difficult things to, to even make sense of because you're just, you're like a lost soul. And one of the guys, the older adults who had killed himself, um, Rick, Rick Dupree, he said it's like shattering a soul. It's like completely like annihilating it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's because you can't, it's so much, you just, it's so much mentally and emotionally to take in, to deal with, to live with, to have to process and even talk about. And who can you talk about with, with this kind of stuff with? I mean, most people look at you like you, you have, you know, 10 heads, like mm-hmm. what's wrong with you or what's up with you, you know, and, and I didn't have near some of the experiences he did, and, I, and yet I still felt that way, too. And I'm sure Ricky did. You know, he probably feels like, where do I fit in? How do I live normally now, <laughs> you know? And so, um, so how, how did it happen? I mean, yes, and, and actually, so da- David Berg died in 94, and did Ricky take, did he take over? I mean, um, um, no, because I think he left. I think he left before he he didn't want. I guess I don't know the whole, all the details of how he left or why. Um, yeah, I mean, I I read the book Jesus Freaks that talks about it, you know, but I didn't. I don't remember all the details of his story of how he left. Obviously, he was he was mad and and or maybe someone helped him get out. Maybe it was his his wife. I'm not really sure. Well, but okay. So and there were other people too um, who who talked about, like, like uh, David Berg's grandchildren and various people who did come out and talk mm-hmm. about being molested by him, by David Berg, and by the nannies and, and you know, the caretakers and all of that. So what, how is it that it was allowed to go on as long as it did, and how is it that today there is some kind of an offshoot of this? I mean, I why think, haven't the authorities come in and, and done something? They did a really good cover-up job, in my opinion. Um, they were trained, and you're trained so young and so well, to be little representations of the good parts of what they do, and you're told that, you know, really bad things will happen to you if you speak up or do anything or say anything. 
you'll reap all kinds of bad consequences. And they would, you know, raise up these people that had died or that left and bad things happened to them. They would, they would be giving them an, as bad examples and saying, see, this is what will happen to you if you leave or if you say anything or, you know, so... I mean, even even me, who had had some other normal things in my life as a young person, um, I I wouldn't speak of what happened. I wouldn't even talk about it for like years, and and I would know people for years on end, and they would know nothing about my past because I was so just embarrassed, humiliated, mortified by the whole thing, and you know, how do you even talk about it? I mean, I literally had people tell me I would start telling them a little bit about my past and where I grew up, and. They would be they would be afraid of it. They would mm. they would tell me that they were sick to their stomach, or that um, you know one time I gave a guy from church I gave him a, all these pamphlets that I had in my hand. I said this is where I grew up, and I wanted him to see it because mm. I was still trying to make sense of it. I was in my early twenties after I had met, finally all the way left mentally, and he literally threw them at me and oh, like handed wow. them back to me. Like, and I thought later it wasn't till later that I thought, well, why would he? do that? Why would he, you know, treat me like that? And I, at the time, I wasn't offended. I was just hurt. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of just shut my mouth and just decided, well, if this is the reaction I'm going to get by talking about my life, mm-hmm. then I'm not going to do it. So it didn't help me to process anything and to learn about, you know, what do you do with this or how do I heal? You know, just made you stuff everything inside and keep it in. And eventually that, that comes out in all kinds of physical problems later, you know? So yes. And so what, okay, so what drove you to write this book, and what are you hoping will ha- you'll achieve with it? Well, um, honestly, I, I, I think I, I started writing it because I first just came up with the idea. I thought it was, oh, I'll write a book. You know, and people would ask me about my life a lot, and I thought, and, and I didn't even connect, write it, well, write a book so you don't have to keep telling your story, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I literally had a dream that I that I should write a book, and I thought, you know, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to that dream until two years after I had that dream, and then it was like this urgency, like you have to do this. You don't even have a choice. You, you must write this book, and part of me, it's like it was hard. It was a hard process. Um, I sometimes had really hard time accessing all those emotions and really understanding what, what had gone on, but I would just press through it, press through it, and I think... Honestly, I think at the end of the day, what happened is that I got healed from the the process of writing, and I found that um, everything that I did over my lifetime after leaving the cult was like like it was almost like um, a built in model for what someone else could follow, not just from a cult but from a lot of problems that stem from all different kinds of arenas of life that are abusive or Mm -hmm. traumatic or anything. And I realized, oh, wow, all of these things kind of point to how someone could heal from a lot of different things in their life, Mm. you know, Mm. because I had so many different diagnoses. It's actually ridiculous. Like you, most people, actually, someone told me, he goes, he goes, what are you trying to tell me? Like uh, a nutritional pill is going to overcome all that stuff. I said, no, I said, you don't get it. <laughs> I'm like, this is way beyond just, you know, how nutrition plays a part in it. But um, at the time I was involved in a nutrition company, but there's so many aspects to the healing of every part of, an, of, of being human, you know, of your mind, your emotions, your, your physical body or spirit, all those things are incorporated into the whole healing um, the journal in the back and how what I talk about there. 
Well, we we need to take another break, but I want to hear more about that and ha- um, how you healed yourself and also about the Children's Health Ministry that you founded. Um, we'll be right back. My guest is Joan Miller. She is the author of The Transformation of Joan Faith. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you about what it's like growing up in a cult with my guest, Joan Miller, who um, has turned her amazingly difficult, traumatic childhood into trying to help others um, heal. And uh, part of the way that she's doing that is the, her book, The Transformation of Joan Faith, and um, an organization that actually it's now called Faith Works. So I, during the break, I was asking Joan if she's, um, or suggesting really, that she try to find other people who uh, grew up in the same cult, the Children of God, and offer them this book to try to help those 
who are still struggling. What, um, uh, what do you hope to, I was asking you what you hope to do with this book, and I'm, I sort of guessed that that was one of the things. What are you trying to do with it? I think ultimately um, what it's kind of turned into is I, I wrote just about my personal experiences, and they just happen to be quite a few of them because it's been over the past 20 years it's taken with several a couple detours for me to put this all together into like a coherent, like this is what I did, this is the path that I took to heal my life. And or that actually God directed me, I really should say, because I don't feel like I did it. I would just pray and say, Lord, direct me, and he would. And so it, ended up, it ends up that a, a lot of different, I guess, programs or books or people that I've met along the way and, and something they've created has turned into, it's almost like a curriculum for healing. And um, I imagine that that could be used in churches or wellness centers, um, and it's a lot of it's based, actually most I should say, most of it's based on new science in the realms of healing and health. And a lot of it has to do with, the, you know, the whole mind-body um, spirit connection and how your emotions affect your physical body, how your spirit does, even like how writing heals. You know, I, I kind of quote a lot of people that have done extensive research on all those things simply because, partly because I'm fascinated by science. And it, it just kind of... Um, what validates everything I've lived. So I just, I love putting all this together and, and I've enjoyed doing it. And I, I do look forward to seeing it being used in the future, uh-huh. you know, for as a curriculum and um, whatever else God has. Cause I think um, there's some other places already up and running that I, I, I imagine this being a curriculum that they could put into uh-huh. what they already do. Uh huh. You know? Yeah. Um, I just want to ask you, we don't, we're kind of running out of ta- time, but I'm just interested, are, are, are your parents still alive and are you in touch with them? Uh, my father passed away in 2008 and, um, and that was, he still had never fully processed what had happened in the cult. I mean, when I say processed, I mean like resolved it in his mind. He still believed that the cult was kind of good and he would go on and on and on about all the good things they did and I would always kind of argue back and forth and say, Dad, you know, but what about all the bad stuff? You, you, you're not, you're not like separating it. You can't lump it all together because if that, if that's in there, then it's wrong and you can't, you can't say they're good. So mm-hmm. we would go back and forth on that for a long time and he would get pretty, it's like those beliefs from the cult near, really never fully left him. Mm-hmm. Um, and really it just came down to that he loved God and he wanted to see people know Jesus. You know, he just, that's what his whole thing was. So I look at him and think, oh, you got confused on how that's supposed to look. But, you know, ultimately that was his heart. My mom and I, our relationship uh, has improved unbelievably. Um, but because of all the years of my dad hating her, I would go along with him and hate her. Well, I don't hate her anymore. And I've, I've seen how amazing that both my parents, my dad was and my mom is, and just the, the way they are, with the, they were just so intelligent and gifted, you know, really just gifted people. And um, my dad, I don't think ever really believed that he was or saw that he was, you know, he, he had a hard time seeing certain things. Uh, he could be encouraging when he wanted to be, but, um, but he still held those weird beliefs. But my mom and I have a really good relationship now. We talk very often all the time. She, she actually gives me advice and, um, you know, different tips and pointers with different books she'll recommend to me to read or do research on. And she's so, not still, she do, doesn't still, is she still influenced by the beliefs of the cult? 
No, no, no. She spent a lot of years um, dealing with it, kind of processing it. She was an advocate for people for a while, and people from the cult, some of them still like to call her because she's very helpful with people that have left um, and in terms of just helping them process their own emotions about it all. But so, no, she's, she doesn't, she's not involved in it at all. She's That's more... interesting, though. It's ironic because your father left the cult earlier, and yet he was still influenced by these these think this way of thinking and your mother stayed in it longer but then she helped people yeah. transition out yeah that's true it's really yeah that's really true it's interesting because i can see like now that when you write a book when you write your your own story you kind of piece everything together and it all makes sense and you see all the puzzle pieces and you're like mm-hmm. oh wow it's kind of cool <laughs> you go, oh i see why that happened or that happened or why, you know, and you can see how it, it all can be used for good. At least I can, you know, I, maybe not everyone does that. but You obviously have healed and come a long way. Tell people, I mean, you can, presumably you can get the book, well, I know you can get the book from Amazon. Where else, is there any place that people can find out more about Faith, Faith Works, your new organization? or Yeah, it's, it's actually faithworksmedia.com. Okay, faithworksmedia.com. All right, mm-hmm. great. And uh, and again, the name of the book is The Transformation of Joan Faith. I, I must say, um, and, and it's beautiful with a butterfly on the cover, so so fitting. I must yeah. say, you know, it was a lot. Are, are your brothers also, um, uh, there's so much I want to ask you, but we're running out of time. Are your, <laughs> did your brothers also heal from this? Were they also scarred? I think they were. Um, I think they're still in the process. I think my younger one has done a lot more healing. He seems a lot more um, clear about his beliefs. My The middle one, um, he's still in his own little process right now, but I think he's going to get it. He's going to get it eventually. <laughs> he might already. Maybe I don't. <laughs> he might already get more than I realize, but um, but it, they're still in a, pro- a little bit of a process. Well, I'm still praying for them on certain things in their life that I'd like to see them have a little bit more together, but, you know, I mean, they're doing good considering everything that's happened, I think. Yes, Definitely yes. doing good. Well, um, I, I certainly wish you well. I really would recommend that everybody go to this faithworksmedia.com, F-A-I-T-H-W-O-R-K-S, media.com, and, um, and you know, I, I think that this could be such a great resource for people who are in a cult or who have managed to barely escape a cult, um, to just see, I mean, you're such a good role model to see how someone could have been so uh, involved in such a, a twisted kind of cult and, and managed to survive and make something good out of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there are, you know, even though this, this new version, um, uh, the Family International, um, you know, obviously some of this is still going on under the leadership of his second wife, apparently, right? Yeah, it and is. I, Yeah, I actually called them because I wanted to just find out what they were doing these days, and I said I wanted to volunteer, and, and, you know, could you tell me about it? They really were so vague, just similar to how they used to be with any public things. They just don't really go into what they're really doing, and... They have a really good presentation on their website and, and, and how they present themselves to the public, but um, it's still the same stuff going on behind closed doors. Did you tell them who you were, that you had been No, involved? I didn't. I was just trying to 
get it, get information and see what was going on because yeah. I had heard they were like had gone to the White House at one point in the, in, in in the recent past. They had gotten sponsorship from all kinds of public companies oh, like wow. Walmart, wow. Home Depot, and I was just like, what? I was in shock when I read that. I was like, this is Whoa. the Obama White House. No, not Obama. This was, uh, I think it was the older Bush. I think it was oh, uh-huh. back then. It was a while back. Okay, well, we, I hear the music again. We okay. do need to say goodbye. I thank you so much for sharing this very intimate and difficult story. And again, the uh, the name of the book, you can get it on Amazon, is The Transformation of Joan Faith, and it's faithworksmedia.com. So, Joan, I really wish you well, and I, I hope you're able to spread your message of healing to a lot of people. And thank thank you you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 